Regardless of how we find ourselves in the world of divorce, the one thing we have complete control over is how we behave from here on out. We have two choices. One is to remain stuck in the stories, the anger and pain. And the other is to take a breath, adjust our sail to the wind, and work harder than ever before to create a new story for our children, for ourselves, and for the world around us. It's your choice, your work, but I'll be in your corner. Welcome to In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Leah Hadley, financial coach before, during, and after divorce. Leah Hadley, founder of Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions and Great Lakes Investment Management and chief mom behind the Moms Managing Money blog, author of When It's Just Not Working, a practical divorce guide for stay-at-home moms, certified divorce financial analyst, mediator, and so much more. Leah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Isn't it so cool hearing all that about yourself? You're like, I am accomplished. <laughs> right? It's a lot. It's a and lot. And who would have thought going through the end of your marriage would make you have such a nice paragraph? <laughs> so that yeah, gives hope. Definitely. Gives hope. <laughs> right. Before right. we get into the awesome professional things you offer to our listeners, tell me a little bit about what wasn't working in your marriage, the beginning of that divorce process and what you learned from that process that helped you become the professional you are today. Yeah. So, okay. There's a lot there. Um, <laughs> I'll repeat. <what> you need. <laughs> so um, my, uh, my ex-husband and I were married for 10 years and we had a lot of ups and downs during our marriage. Um, we, we actually decided to adopt. We adopted um, three children out of foster care which was amazing. It was, it was just, I mean, it was just incredible. And they're the best things that have ever happened to me in my life. Um, but it put an incredible amount of stress on our relationship. And I think that there was existing stress that um, was just exacerbated when the kids came on and they needed so much. And um, I don't think anybody, honestly, at the end of the day can be prepared to just like have their lives turned up upside down by three kids. Like I don't, I don't and know what prepares you for them. Yeah, they were a sibling group. Well, that's um, so cool. It's amazing. It is awesome. It was hard. It was really hard. Um, and I wouldn't change a thing. I really wouldn't. Even divorce and everything. Um, but it was hard. It was hard on our relationship. And I think ultimately that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. How, how far in between the adoption and the divorce, like not like the official divorce, but like when you guys were ready to make that decision, how much time? So the adoption took a long time. So the kids were probably with us for like maybe two years, probably two years before we got divorced. Um, but from the adoption, it actually wasn't that long. I mean, it was, trying to think of the actual timing. It was probably less than a year. That, so I, I, I'm remarried like you are and my husband um, and his ex adopted a little girl. And that was one of the big fears he always had was like, how do I explain to her? Because the time was so close in between the, you know, because you know, the adoption process took three years basically. And so once you get that notification, you, that's what you want more than anything. 
And I said, you tell her that we wanted you more than anything, regardless of what was happening in our marriage. And we knew we were going to be able to provide you all the love you needed, however it was going to look. Right. It had actually, even though that was the pressure, it doesn't have anything to do with like the love you wanted to give them that you're still able to give them. And honestly, Carly, at the end of the day, he and I are so much better parents now separate from each other than we were together. We didn't parent well together. We didn't. So you're actually better as co-parents than you are as You're much better co-parents than we were as parents. That is such a cool idea. Like we, I agree. I agree because you know, my, I call my husband, somebody taught me that um, on here instead of saying X. So my husband would never, he doesn't listen to this. So I'm sure he won't know this, but he would never admit, but the divorce made him an awesome father. And so because I wasn't doing all the things that I was doing before when it's his time, I can't come to his house and do the things. So he learned, right. And he's doing a great job. Right. I would say the same is true for my ex that he really stepped up in a way that I, that surprised me. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't easy at first. So I want to make sure, you know, if you're going through a tough time, we didn't start out as good co-parents either. (laughs) No. And you know what? We had to fake it till we made it. The first two years of our divorce, like when we were finally living apart, we, I was putting on like a Grammy award winning performance. Like we moved to a new neighborhood and everyone was like, oh my God, you guys get along so well. I'm like, you have no idea. Like as I'm smiling, you know what I mean? Because all that needed to happen was my kids needed to see that. And they, they don't need to know like how we're feeling. Like that's not their business, you know, in that area. So tell me what you learned from your own divorce that helped you make the decision to become what you are today professionally. Um, so interesting. Okay. So from my own divorce, I don't know that my own divorce drove it as much as the experience, what I was seeing with clients that, um, so I was just a traditional financial advisor, helping people, you know, manage their assets, not, um, and just, Um, you know, a big name um, uh, investment firm. And um, what would happen is people, women would, um, I inherited a ton of accounts when I first started. Um, I would have women who just had really poor planning um, in their divorce agreement. uh, And so they were blowing through their assets. And as a financial advisor, I could see that they were going to deplete their money very quickly. Um, and that it was financial decisions that they had made during the divorce that had um, just not set them up for a strong financial foundation moving forward. Okay? You're reading my mail. <laughs> I mean, the money I got wasn't from the divorce. It was from the selling of our dream house. And what I did with that money was gone in a year, not because I was going on like yachts. It was because I got a new house and I had to pay for all this junk and a lawyer, which we were talking about, took half of it. And because I didn't know what I was doing. And I, if I could have sat in front of you, I can't even imagine where I'd be, I'd be able to buy raspberries today. Like, so, (laughs) so you're seeing poor planning in the divorce documents. This is before you even get a divorce yourself. So this was actually before I, and, and so I was even starting to get educated about how I could better help people. Now I was raised by a single mom. So I knew, um, you know, I wasn't a stranger to divorce, right? Like my mom had been married and divorced twice. Um, and I certainly saw her experience 
and seeing the experience of my clients. And yes, it ended up happening in my own life. I would say where my own personal experience has really helped in a lot of ways has to do with the co-parenting piece. Um, because even though people a lot of times will separate out like the parenting issues and the financial issues, what I actually see on most of the post-decree issues that I'm helping with are even though they're parenting, they're financial issues. So they're things that people just didn't talk about or didn't make decisions on in, in their original separation agreement or it wasn't documented in such a way. Um, and so it's like, you know- Mostly because they didn't know, right? They didn't because know. Without having someone, you know, when I'm sitting there thinking, we don't know about these things. So tell us some of the things that we don't know that need to go into that document financially. Yeah, that, so there's so parenting. Yeah, there's so much. Bring it um, and I, I want people to understand, first of all, that when you're co-parenting, um, you're still going to have the same challenges that parents have, right? Like par as your children are growing up, depending on the age. So my kids were very young uh, when we got divorced. My youngest, I don't know, um, he might have been three when we got divorced. So um, from three to 18, their needs are going to continue to change. They're going to evolve. There's going, I mean, it's just everything that's going to happen in their lives and how their dad and I handle it. There's no way we can document that in a parenting plan. Okay. It's just not realistic. You can't it's not think, realistic. Right. But what you can do and what you can talk about and what you can plan for is how are you proactively going to deal with the issues that are going to arise because they are going to, right? Yeah. Even if you were parenting together, they would. And there's the additional complexity of maybe like for myself, I got remarried, you know, for him, he got remarried. So there's additional family complexity happening. How are we going to navigate all of these different issues? Can I just pause you for a second? Because that is so important that you just said that. So, and I say this all the time to, to clients, please sit down and sit with a mediator like you or Danielle or an awesome mediator and say, we need to figure this stuff out now because before other people get involved and they have their own stuff. Right. And then if that's not in the document, which is like concrete, right. You know how hard that is to change and how expensive if that's in there, then whoever comes into the picture, you just say, look, this is in my divorce document. I can't change it. I'm sorry. You don't like it but it's in there to protect the children and protect ourselves. And so you said, how will you deal with issues? So how do you help clients plan for, and what are some of the big ones that we need to plan for? The big ones this year, income has changed for a lot of people this year. Oh my income, So are you adding pandemic? Are you like, Hey, by the way, there might be a pandemic. Well, you know, I, I've always, and I think financial planners in general always have talked to people about, there are a lot of unknowns. Um, and a lot of times people have a hard time connecting with that idea of there just being, unless something really catastrophic has happened in your life that you just really didn't anticipate, um, people have a hard time with that idea a lot of times, right? This has been the first time in my career where I can say, all right, here we are. We're in the middle of this like really unexpected thing that has had an impact on everybody's financial situations, you know? Yeah. And honestly, some people, um, are actually in a better financial situation as it relates to the pandemic. But for a lot of people, that is not the case. And it has had an impact on income, okay? Um, and the challenge being, if you have a commitment 
um, to covering the support on whatever, you know, the different kids activities. I mean, we're not even talking like child support and spousal support, but some of the different like extracurricular activities are involved with or private school education or these things, right? If you were still married and somebody had a significant loss in income or a, a job loss, right? You would have to have a conversation about how are we going to manage the change in income? Well, I know you don't want to be involved in your ex's money. They don't want to be involved in your money. But the reality is, if between the two of you, there's been a major change in income, there's going to be, have to be a conversation about how do we manage these expenses? Because money doesn't just come from, you know, and, and people shouldn't be pulling from like retirement accounts to pay for kids' extracurricular activities. Right. They shouldn't be, right? Right. Um, so how do we deal with life's unexpected challenges? Um, and to be honest, in my personal situation, we are extremely proactive. I mean, we are having face-to-face -face conversations at least once a month. Um, we're texting directly to one another. Um, and um, it's like anytime something comes up that's like serious with one of the kids, major behavioral issue, an educational issue we have to deal with. I mean, with three kids, stuff comes up, right? <laughs> um, but Whenever we have to deal with it, we have an actual conversation about it. So it's you not guys like have I'm a North Star divorce. I'm not sending an email and hoping that he's understanding what I'm coming from. Right. You know, but like realistically, these like the kids are the most important thing to us. And so we are we're we are truly proactively co-parenting. Right, because right? Like you can see that choice. But this is a business you're you are in together for life which is raising these three humans that you chose that, to be in their lives and you get to be these parents to them. And so you need to figure stuff out. So in the document, how do you help them professionally, like clients figure out the financial stuff? So do you put in a clause or whatever the legal term is about if something changes in someone's income, we need to be realistic? Like, what do you do? We have the conversation. It starts okay. with acknowledging that that can and you know will happen, right, over right. the years. And it happens both ways, right? People increase their income, people make more money, right? Um, but it's it's having the conversation and understanding the conversation is about how do you best support the children, not how do you continue to support your ex and their lifestyle, right? How and do that's you, let's say that again. How do you best support the children? Yeah, because the tension really gets to like, hey, we're getting a divorce. I'm not going to continue to fund right. your lifestyle, right? That's right. the challenge. Um, but really focusing on the kids, what their needs are um, and what you want for them, right? So like I have some clients who no matter what, they want their kids to go to Catholic school, right? Like private education, they do not want public education. That's a core value for them. Okay, if that is so important to you, then we need to look at how do we make that a priority in real financial terms, right? Um, who's actually paying for it? What does that look like? What does it mean if that person has a loss of income or what does the proportion change? So some people write in their agreements, for example, that expenses will be shared proportionate to income um, rather than saying, 50-50 down the middle, right? Like, um, but also acknowledging, and I do really encourage my clients to think through, all right, what does that actually mean if you're saying you're committing to sharing and expenses equally? Can you afford to make that commitment? Because sometimes you really can't. 
Like, and especially with, um, I see it with some of the club sports, people spend tremendous amounts of money on, on the club sports. I have two yeah. out of three in premier soccer. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's with a all the travel expenses yeah. and all, you know, um, but if that's important to your family, then let's talk about what does that actually mean from a financial standpoint? Um, and how do you make those decisions? Because the other challenge that comes up all the time is one parent is um, committing their children to whatever the activity is without discussing it with the other parent first, expecting the other parent to come up with the money to pay for it, um, and maybe even expecting them to help get them there or you know, having an impact on the parenting schedule and things like that. Um, so would you do that to your parent, the other parent in your house? If you guys were married, you know, would you just operate under that expectation or would you have a conversation about it? Right. Um, because whatever it is, it's just, it's a little bit more challenging when you're, you're parenting separately, right? In two different right. homes. Um, and so getting really clear on all of those financial aspects, um, but also managing risk, right? And so one of the big things that I look at is, you know, Health insurance is a big one that comes up, you know, in every single case, but life insurance too, because unfortunately things happen um, and you want to make sure. Question. Who do you got, who do you think is supposed to pay for life insurance? Um, well, I don't know that one person is like supposed to pay for life insurance. Okay. It really depends. Um, but if you, I do um, try to have the person who is like where the risk is, right? So let's say, um, you know, wife is like the breadwinner, right? Um, and husband has been kind of staying home more frequently. Um, then um, husband needs to make sure that he has some insurance if he's counting on spousal support and child support from the wife, um, that he needs to be the owner on that policy. So he is not only the beneficiary of the policy, but also the owner of the policy. And why that matters is because then he knows that the payment is being made, whether he's responsible for it or he's negotiated that she's responsible for it. That, that piece of it doesn't matter so much as he knows it's getting paid and he knows it's in place, so he's protected. But more importantly, the children are protected, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what that policy is about. A lot of times when I bring up the issue of life insurance, when we're talking about divorce, people look at me like I have two heads. Like, why are we talking about life I, insurance? I wish you were in the room, the <laughs> miserable room with me, my lawyer, and him and his lawyer. And you know, here's the thing we need to recognize. Everyone that's with us has their own stuff. So his lawyer was connected by family to a horrible case that happened here where a husband was killed by hired hired killed like by the wife's boyfriend oh my goodness so yes right because like we need more drama in our divorce <laughs> so my parents were paying for my husband's life insurance when we were married and they offered to still pay for it because they wanted to make sure my children would be taken care of if god forbid something happened to him and as angry as anyone gets i would never want my children's father to have anything to happen to them Right. This, his lawyer was so sensitive to it. She was like, you are paying, you're doing this life insurance because you want him dead. And this happened to my family. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, goodness. I know. And so I was like, I will take my name off of everything. You can put it in a trust. You can do whatever you need. It's not for me. I get zero things from it. But you're right. Like people get really sensitive when you talk about life insurance. 
And it's such, if you are relying on income from the other person, and regardless, if you're co-parenting with the other person, even if you're not getting direct child support right. from them, you're but not you're getting splitting. spousal support, they are still paying for different expenses for the kids, right? And should something happen to them, you're responsible for those expenses as a way to protect yourself. If you don't have the savings in the bank, that's what life insurance is designed for. Yeah. Um, and so it's really an important conversation to be had from a financial planning perspective, no question. Okay, check, life insurance, what else? <laughs> um, I'm thinking about the parenting plan in particular, but I would say another big mistake that people make. Yes, I love mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, is keeping a house that you can't really afford. Oh my goodness. And so the thing that people will tell me all the time is they don't want to disrupt their family. They don't want their kids to move out. They already are, you know, having to experience this divorce. They get and, so emotionally invested in the house. And I'm like, the yeah. house is money. Like that is. Well, and the end of the day, people are tired. I mean, yes. the divorce process is exhausting. And so the thought of like packing up your belongings and finding a new, I mean, I totally get where it's coming from. However, um, my, what I do is it's all about setting you up for the most, um, like the best financial success that you can have after this whole situation is over. So I want the divorce to cost as, as little as possible. And I don't want you to make like expensive tax mistakes and, and this, that, and the other. Um, but sometimes what that means is um, looking at your cash flow. And if you're going to be really uncomfortable trying to stay in this house like you really can't make ends meet and stay in the house and on top of that you're giving up other assets so that way you're keeping the equity in the house um it's a mistake it's a big mistake and your family is going to be a whole lot more uncomfortable living under that scenario than they are moving right like if can you're i just gonna... say something for what you said okay. so mm -hmm. i we were talking about this before we started recording but I'm sure listeners are hearing like, you're a financial planner. I'm an emotional person that deals with your baggage. We've got mediators and it sounds really expensive, but it's nothing in comparison to all the things you're referring to, to everybody hiring their own lawyer to get as much as you can, which ends up regardless costing everyone so much money. I, the average number is only 15,000 per person, which I say only because I know it's way higher for lots of people. Um, but to just do mediation, to hire a financial person, to hire a coach to get through the emotional stuff, to set your children up. These three things are so key because without them, you are making emotional decisions out of fear and exhaustion, right? I just wanted it to be over. I was like, I remember the lawyers were arguing in the other room. Me and my husband were in like the little front room in five minutes. After five minutes, I came back in and I said, he can have all of these things. And my lawyer was like, what did you just do? I was like, I just want it to be over. And she's like, you just destroyed everything we just fought for. And I was like, I just want to be done. And it's because I didn't have anyone guiding me. And that happens so often, Carly. And it's like, I, the, I love, I mean, I am happy to support people regardless of when they come to me. Um, but I can't tell you how frustrating it is when they come to me after their divorce is already final and I look through some of the decisions that oh. they've made and, and it's like, <laughs> there's no going back now, right? You would like, cry. Yeah, <laughs> I'd so much rather. And I even do like 90 minute sessions. So you don't even necessarily need to hire me for like a full engagement. Yeah. I will do a 90 minute session to just like, let's just talk about what are you actually agreeing to? 
um, and just make sure that it's reasonable, right? Um, and so often when I have those sessions with people, I mean, there are things, pensions are the big one that comes up over and over and over again. People don't understand pensions. Um, and especially, you know, there's like in Ohio, all the different public pensions. They all Can have you give us the kindergarten version of pensions and why that's important? Okay, so a pension, and this is important, and some of the lawyers get mixed up on this too. So I want you to understand, you know, how, talking to a financial specialist, we really, like, we're really focused on the financial piece of it. Your lawyer is focused on the legal aspects, okay? Um, so understanding account names is so important because each type of account that you have um, is handled differently um, within a divorce. Some cannot be divided, some can be divided, some require additional paperwork to get divided. So when I'm talking about a pension, sometimes people use the word pension, and the reason I'm saying this is to, to like, um, they're identifying a general retirement account of some sort. Okay, that's not what a pension is. A pension is a defined benefit plan where you are actually assigned a specific dollar amount that you're gonna get monthly or annually once you retire, right? Not so a 401k? Not a 401k. Okay. So the most common pensions are going to be like military pensions, teachers. Uh, police and fire, teachers, um, public employees. <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of the um, private sector pensions have gone away. Um, but even like dealing with some of the frozen pensions like Cleveland Clinic or, you know, any of those things, right? Um, but it's that defined amount of money that you would be getting on a monthly basis or on a quarterly or annual basis once you retire. So it is different from a 401k. It is different from an IRA. And each pension has its own rules. And some of them can be divided in a divorce and some of them cannot be divided in a divorce. And um, some of them have like some weird nuances that like it's just so important to really sit down and understand completely what your options are. And you may decide it doesn't make sense to divide the pension and that's fine. Um, however, in so many cases, the pension is the largest marital asset. Um, and people don't realize it because they're looking at like a monthly amount. So let's say they're looking at a $1,500 a month um, retirement benefit and that's the number that they're thinking about. Or they're looking at the value on the statement, which is actually gonna show how much has been contributed to the account, that's not the value of the pension either, right? Because the pension is investing those funds so that way they can pay out that monthly benefit. And so there's just a lot of um, misinformation when it comes to that particular asset class. And so it's really, really important that you fully understand what are the options, how, you know, and, and make an informed decision when it comes to that pension. Those are definitely some of the most costly mistakes that people make. What else? What else are we making mistakes about? <laughs> How people get money um, when they're dividing assets. So a lot of times, and there are ways to get money out of retirement accounts as part of your divorce. So there are reasons why um, people might do that. I always try really hard for people to walk away from a divorce debt-free. And so many people are just overwhelmed with debt these days, um, whether it's credit cards, sorry about that, um, or student loans, or, you know, it's just so much debt, right? And so um, having a plan in place for both parties to be able to walk away debt-free is kind of like the ideal scenario. And sometimes I have to get a little creative with the retirement accounts in order to make that happen. Okay. 
So here is a very costly and avoidable mistake. If you are being awarded a portion of a 401k, so now this is an actual 401k, this is not an IRA, this is a 401k that's governed under ERISA. Um, if you are awarded as a, a portion of a 401k and that uh, 401k is distributed to you via a qualified domestic relations order and you take a cash distribution via that qualified domestic relations order, you can avoid the 10% early withdrawal penalty that you would be subject to if you were taking it before age 59 and a half. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you roll the funds into an IRA, then you take the money out, you're then subject to that 10% penalty. Mm -hmm. So let's say, and it happens all the time, that I'm taking $50,000 out to wipe out my debt. Okay. I roll it into an IRA and then I take the money out. I'm paying an extra $5,000 in taxes, an extra $5,000 in taxes that you just wouldn't have been subject to otherwise. Wow. Um, and that's just literally a procedural thing and understanding exactly how to go about it so that you can avoid that 10% penalty. Very common. And your lawyer does not always tell you that. Well, and especially so many people go to lawyers that don't necessarily specialize in divorce. They might be more generalist, maybe a family friend or a neighbor or what have you. Um, People aren't dealing with the stuff day in and day out. They, yeah, they definitely might not be aware of that particular rule. What is a really important thing to have in for your children? You were talking about before to make sure that we, you know, to focus on the core values. What is an important thing when parents are splitting to make sure financially is in place for the children so they feel taken care of? Like what more than anything are you like, we need to make sure this is in here. Um, I think the biggest thing is to really work through what, what does it cost to take care of the kids? Who's covering those costs and how are they being covered, right? So we've got um, health, activities, mm -hmm. school, religion, mm -hmm. college. Yeah. So college is an interesting and tricky one depending on the state that you live in. Okay. Um, it may or may not fall within the jurisdiction of the court. Um, and understand that it's a parenting decision. So it's, there's right. a lot of conflict around the college expense and how that is shared or not, or whether or not parents are going to contribute to college or not. Um, and it is, it's a values thing, right? It's deciding whether or not that is a priority for you if you want to support your kids going through college. Or and a lot of people feel very strongly that kids need to pay for their own college or find ways to pay for college. But regardless, if you're divorced or you're married, it's a conversation that needs to be had and needs to be dealt with. And you might be on the same page and you might not be on the same page, um, but it may fall under your parenting agreement depending on the state that you live in. Um, so it, it just depends. Um, and it's one of those things where you can plan as best you can plan. But if your kids are young, when this is happening, there's a whole lot of life changes that are gonna happen between now and when they go to college. Um, and so I think the most important thing is having a conversation and documenting how you're going to deal with these things. So having a true communication plan in place. So, you know, sit, uh, sitting down like once a year or once every six months and talking about what's coming up for the kids, right? I mean, I think people aren't very proactive in their own personal financial management. And so it sounds like a foreign concept to have a sit down and talk about the child related expenses that are coming up. 
but ideally you're managing your own personal finances in a very proactive way as well, right? You have some kind of an annual, even if you don't get into like a really clear set budget for yourself, you have an idea of what your income is and what your expenses are. And those kid expenses fall into that, right? Um, and how those are gonna be covered is gonna have a huge impact on your ability to reach your own financial goals. Um, and so sitting down with that co-parent and, and revisiting these things as life changes, um, it's a realistic thing. And I know it sounds hard, especially if you're in the thick of it right now. <laughs> and um, you know, when somebody is like in that emotional, and I wanna be clear, my first year of co-parenting was a nightmare. I had, my youngest was a toddler, he used to scream at the top of his lungs every time he had to go between our homes. Transition. My heart, yeah, my heart was like totally like shattering. What do we do? What do we do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, we stuck to the plan and we, we worked through it and the kids got on the routine and, um, you know, he and I got to a point where we could start having these conversations. But I always like to tell people when I'm working with them, we did not start out this way. Right. Um, we're not so like hope. miracle. Right. Right. There's <laughs> hope. We, it, you can be a mess. Well, I have a question for you that's kind of selfish in, in asking, but can you do anything with someone like me post-divorce, documents done, everything's been decided to help plan for my financial future? Because when you start talking about that, I'm like, what is she going to do? I've got like literally nothing to plan. Like it's just, blah, it's just like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I work with people on post-decree issues all the time. So people come in and they talk about, you know, the different expenses that have come up. Generally, so a lot of people have in their parenting plan that if there is a problem, they will seek mediation before they will file with the court, right? Right. Um, And so people will reach out and we'll work through. I mean, it's not, it's not fun. I mean, it's hard conversations that have to be had. People have to be realistic about the different things that are happening in their lives, right? Um, But if you're putting your kids first, you do it. I mean, you do it. You do the work. You do what it takes to be able to provide for them, um, you know, and, and I don't know. It's, I mean, I, I recognize that it's not easy and there's a lot of stress on families and especially this year, there's so much stress on families. Um, but people have to be realistic and understanding that like things are going to come up for your kids and you would have to be having these conversations. If you were still married, you're choosing to co-parent together. You have to have the conversations, right? I'm hearing your theme, which is very much in line with what I believe you have to have a relationship enough with your co-parent that you can talk because well, you're co-parenting, right? Right. It makes it miserable for not even just for yourself, because we know it's miserable for each other when we have to do, when we are not getting along, right? But it makes it miserable for your kids because one of you has the kids while you're having the conversation. One of you has kids in the background that are like asking for dinner and snacks and I can't get this link on and I don't know this and she did this and that. And you're emailing or texting or on the phone trying to deal with a stressful financial situation or decision. And we need to remember that like us getting along and doing everything we can to work through this with a solution is what's best for the kids. Because what happens for me, because I'm not I'm not perfect, right? Is I'll turn and the person I take it out on isn't the ex because I can't do that anymore, right? It's my kid. I'll, I'll be like, I'm on the you know, I'm on the phone and then they didn't do anything, right? And then right. you're like, I'm so sorry, I was crazy. <sighs> 
you know, and so it's in everybody's best interest. It is. And we've even done things where, you know, we'll take the kids to the playground. This is more when they were a little bit younger, but we'll sit on the bench and have the conversation that needs to be had. Um, and it's, it's about co-parenting. So there's a difference between co-parenting, parallel parenting, right? Like you can parent completely separately. Yeah. Say it, say it. Um, but if you're choosing to parent together, if you're choosing to create a united front, the only way to do that is to communicate with one another. You don't have to like each other. No. And honestly, we didn't for a long time. I'm sure he has plenty to say about me too. Um, but, but now we are actually, I mean, it's come to the point where we're better friends now, I think, than we ever were the entire time we were married. You know what? It makes um, and kids feel safe. Mm-hmm. They feel the other thing that a lot of people do that is a big issue is they don't want to talk directly and they're trying to co-parent. And so they give the message to the child oh, and have the no, child no. give the message to the parent. Well, I don't know if you ever played telephone when you were growing up, um, but kids are very manipulative <laughs> and they will play that game all day long to see what they can get away they with. They don't want to be in that position. So, you know, I've right. done so many anonymous surveys of children currently in a divorced family and adults from a divorced family. And that was one of their main complaints was they're sick of being in between and being a messenger. And right. one of my two rules, I only have two rules with all my clients and one of the, which are deal breakers. But one of them is that you have to sit in the same space at all events because the children only get a certain amount of time to look up, you know, from whatever they're doing, right? They want to look in the same direction, but that, that connects with everything you're saying because we're choosing to be a united front. So will you explain to the listeners what parallel parenting is? So parallel parenting is when you're literally, like you're parenting in a silo. So you're doing your thing and the other person is doing their thing. The same children, um, but they're not, you're not working together. You're not parenting together. You're not problem solving together. You're not making decisions together. Um, and honestly, as difficult as, there are a lot of challenges with co-parenting. There's no question. Communication is difficult. You have to work at it. Um, and it's like anything else. You work at it, it gets easier, it gets better, right? Um, but with parallel parenting, that lack of communication has its own set of challenges with it, right? I mean, if you're trying to work on a particular um, like educational issue, you're trying to resolve, you know, a serious issue at the school. Um, and the kid, like, let's say they're not, you know, turning in their work, or they're not, you know, going to class or whatever the issue may be. If the other parent isn't involved in resolving whatever that issue is, um, then there's no progress being made. And especially if they have the child half the time, um, you know, then that's setting you back. It's not creating um, a strong foundation for the kid to thrive in, um, in that environment. Now, with that said, there are a lot of reasons why people do have to parallel parent. You know, there are reasons why co-parenting will not work in some right. cases. And I 100% recognize yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so I'm really who speaking. Have, who have unpleasant, who have people with mental and emotional and psychological disorders that it's not possible. Right. I'm talking about people who can choose one right. way or another and who choose not to. Right. And like you, I recognize that, that is not always the option, but when it is an option, when you have two right. people who are mostly mentally capable of doing things mm -hmm. to 
like when you were describing it, I wanted to start crying thinking about like a middle schooler having to go in between two homes that were not working together and no communication and how unsafe they must feel without being able to put into words because not only are the rules so extremely different and they're always going to be different whether you're co-parenting or not but so extremely different almost sometimes i've seen with clients where the parents are so angry at each other that they on purpose make the rules so extreme to get back at like let's say dad knows mom hates when the kids don't go to bed at a certain time and so like dad keeps them up or vice versa or digital stuff and you know i co-parent with mine pretty well and we joke about stuff like that but we talk about it and i'll be like hey during pandemic we're noticing that like three hours of digital went to like 500 and right <laughs> can we talk about this right and so and i when i say to him it's usually me because i'm with them more during the day and after school even though we're 50 50 and i'll say like hey our youngest is really really struggling in this area we need to step up as together so at both because we know i mean if you lived in a home together and you were married and only one parent did one of the things and the other parent was like, you can have whatever you want. Right. It's going to create so much imbalance and confusion. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So tell me, how do you, like, how do you see when you're sitting with a couple and they're going through the process of divorce and you're helping them mediate, what do you think is the area that they get the most stuck or angry about financially? So I try to have a conversation with each of them before we get started. So that way, yeah, so I know what the sticky issues are. Um, I would say the biggest issue that tends to come up is around spousal support. Um, And the reason why it tends to be an issue is there tends to be, if there is a significant imbalance in income between the two, um, a lot of resentment that has gathered over the years of one, one person feeling like they've had to take care of the other adult, right? Um, and it's, it's hard, you know, I work with a lot of um, stay-at-home moms. I've, I've um, done a lot of work with, I've, there's a lot of financial fear for people who have not had their own source of income. Yes. Um, and so this, you know, comes up in a lot of cases that I work in and there, it, it's, it's hard to go back to work after a long period of time of not, having a traditional job. Um, um, can I pause you for a second? I have my master's in education and for eight years I did not teach because I raised three little boys who were 16 and 19 months apart. And when I tried to go back into the education world, they were like, what'd you do the whole time? And I was like, eight bonbons, much dope. <laughs> like, come on, are you kidding me? I've raised three humans. Like, and I did all these other things, but, but the society outside does not see that. Right, right. And especially for the women that I have who are a little bit older too, you know, they're in their 50s and, you know, then maybe some of them haven't kept up with technology as much. So there's a lot of fear around um, not feeling like they, even if, you know, they had a career before they had their kids, um, you know, not feeling like they have the skills to go back into the workforce, right? Um, And so, 
there's this like resentment on one side of like, all right, I'm done paying for you. I feel like I've been paying for you for a long time. And then on the other side, there's this like real true fear about like, I, how am I going to take care of myself? Like I gave up my career in order to be able to raise a family. Right. We were a team, and part of the team was I did this, you did that. So, what is the guidance you give? Um, so, I really work with people on reframing how they're thinking about it. Um, and, you know, state laws have changed. And so, different states have different laws. And quite frankly, um, you can't assume that you're going to get spousal support anymore. Like, that is just changed in the law, and it can't be an assumption. But even in couples that are very angry, and even when one person has been made a provider and they may be some resentment, um, I will say the vast majority of people that I've worked with, they don't want to see the other person like really struggling, especially if they have children together. They want that person to be okay, right? Um, and so, you know, a lot of the reframing has to do with how do we uh, create a plan where you're, you know, you as maybe the person who hasn't been earning your own income has the support you need to be able to get to the point of earning your own income. What does that look like? Um, and a lot of times a person who is the provider can get on board with maybe providing some extra support even for somebody who needs some education in order to be able to stand on their own. So maybe they're even willing to pay a little bit more for a shorter period of time. That's a big one. People don't want to be on the hook for like years and years and years. Um, but like they want to be able to help that person transition, right? Um, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. I've had people say like, um, don't use the word alimony. Like when we're talking about um, when we're in mediation, please don't use that word. It's a trigger word for me. Just don't use the word. Um, we can use the word maintenance or we can use the word support, you know, but I try to have those conversations with people so I know the sensitive issues and I know how we can approach the topic in a way that we can come to a resolution. But I'm also, I'm a, a numbers person and I'm realistic and I'm looking at it and I'm like, how much money do you need to live on? It's not necessarily about like how much does, can he afford to give me or she afford to give me, but like, let's get realistic here. What do you really need? Um, you know, to be able to maintain the lifestyle that you've been accustomed to, what does that look like? And then sometimes we have to say, okay, if there's one income that has been supporting one household and now that same income is going to be supporting two households, you gotta make some changes because for most people that one income can't support two households. Um, and so just being realistic with the numbers and really like talking it through. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. For any listeners out there who want help with divorce coaching, please contact me at inyourcornercoach at gmail.com. Remember, we get to write this next chapter for our kids, for ourselves and the world around us. Have a great day.